You're listening to the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. This episode is another in our regular series, taking an in-depth look at the SMFM pregnancy meeting. To find out more about the meeting, go to www.smfm.org or go to the AJP homepage at www.tima.com forward slash AJP. back on our schedule is um, Dr. Elevitz, who's going to talk about the microbiome. Thank you, Tracy, for asking me to speak today. Thank you all for being here in the late afternoon. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and take you through, um, really talk about the cervical vaginal microbiome in preterm birth. These are the learning objectives that I was told to write, and my format does not necessarily follow the SMFM because the microbiome just does not look good on a black slide, so bear with me. So the title of my talk is The Cervical Vaginal Microbiome, a Player in Spontaneous Preterm Birth. So the current paradigm, and this is the current paradigm I worked on off of my research for over 15 years, and I published this in 2004, was this. Bacteria colonized the cervical space. It ascended through the endocervical canal without inducing any immune response, without talking to the epithelial cells, without interacting with the mucus, just free-floated up there. You can tell I don't really believe that anymore. (laughs) Replicated in the decidual space, in the placenta, was then passed to the fetus either through um, the umbilical cord or actually through breaking down the membrane and transmembrane um, passage. Those bacteria in the placenta and in the fetal membranes as well as the amniotic fluid would then induce a mediators, that's mine, bring it back, um, would then induce mediators that would lead to uterine activity. Those uterine, that uterine activity would lead to cervical remodeling and preterm birth. So it was really uterine activity and uterine infection was the basis of the paradigm for how the pathogenesis of spontaneous preterm birth occurred. The paradigm is we've proven, we collectively have proven it wrong. So multiple clinical trials targeting mild mitral activity. Some of you are too young to remember, but the rest of us do. From beta mimetics, from turb pumps, to home uterine activity monitoring, to procardia, to magnesium. Basically, we've done multiple randomized clinical trials, and none of them have showed any change in the overall preterm birth rates. So then we focused on uterine infection, and some of these trials were quite sophisticated. So not only targeting BV and trichomonas, but actually a study, I believe, from UAB, biopsying the endometrium in between pregnancies and treating the specific bugs that were there or found at the time by PCR, and then a repeat pregnancies. What did all these clinical trials show? No benefit in the change of preterm birth rate. So either we did the clinical trials wrong or our paradigm is wrong. And years after doing this research, we had a question whether there should be a new paradigm for preterm birth. And to give you the overview of how we got involved in the microbiome, based a lot on what happens in the gut, where there is an epithelial barrier, immune and mucus, we kind of developed this paradigm. This paradigm was now part of a grant that is five years old. So I will tell you that it's even a little bit wrong. You will see those are epithelial cells in a schematic. The green and red dots are favorable and unfavorable. And you'll see later in my talk why I purposely call them that, because we don't actually understand the immune response in the cervical vaginal space. You'll notice that I wrote lactobacillus present. And when we first wrote this grant um, five years ago, we really thought if you have lactobacillus, you'll be good. If you don't, such as BV, you'll be bad. But at the time, we were a little smarter because we had some good microbiology colleagues. And we just said there'd be a dysbiotic state. In the dysbiotic state, you induce more of an unfavorable. You'll notice I'm not calling it a pro or anti-inflammatory response. I'm just calling it an unfavorable. That unfavorable immune response 
And you'll notice that some people with a dysbiotic state will not have that unfavorable immune response. Some will and some won't. Those that have the unfavorable immune response will have breakdown of the cervical epithelial barrier, preterm, premature cervical remodeling, and ultimately preterm birth. This has been our working hypothesis for both our lab work and our clinical cohorts, which I will explain to you some today and the role of the cervical vaginal microbiome. So understanding that's our new paradigm, what do we actually know about microbial communities in the cervical vaginal space? So thanks to NIH supporting the Human Microbiome Project, we know a fair amount in non-pregnant women. So our collaborator on our one is Jacques Ravel. This is work that he published in PNSA, PNAS in 2011. This is a heat map where he collected over 400 women and typed their cervical vaginal microbial communities daily for three to four months. And what he found is that they really kind of segregated into these community state types, which were dominated by specific bacteria. This is an example of four different women. So I'm going to walk you through them just because there's some take-home points that are important for when we do this research in pregnancy. So CST1 is Lactobacillus crispatus, which is seen here. Considered a very good lactobacillus, makes lactic acid, has been a marker of vaginal health for decades. We've talked about this. So this woman basically mostly lives in crispatus, right? Inners, which is community state type 3, CST3, was also thought for decades to be a good bug. In the last five years, what we found is that there are different genomic strains of inners. If you have the bad one, non-pregnant, all non-pregnant, if you have the not good strain of inners, then you actually have a higher risk of HIV and other STI acquisition. So, so much for the theory that all lactobacillus are good. But anyway, you can see this woman lived in inners, something happened. And then she goes to all this blue is basically anaerobic bacteria, or what we would call CST4, or what we in the OB world know as bacterial vaginosis. This woman is gasseri, which we rarely see, I can tell you, in African-American women. And this woman lives basically, apparently, in BV all of her life. Now, on the bottom here, which I cut off and you can't see, it actually reported patient symptoms, intercourse, other social behaviors. So now I'm going to show you a few interesting things that should inform our research as we move forward. Do you know what happened here? She had intercourse. What's most interesting about this, and Jacques will only tell you this years later because he went back and looked at this, he assumed that some of these other bugs must have always been living there. If you notice, you can't see any of them. That they were living there at low levels and that they just, after intercourse, something changed and that bug was allowed to then flourish. Well, it turns out if you do in-depth genome sequencing on this woman, none of these bugs were there. Guess where they came from? You can say the man. <laughs> so something that's really never been introduced into any of the studies to date, including our own, is this concept of when there's intercourse, what happens and what is the shared or given microbiota from the man to the female or even female to female or in different sexual practices. So that's really not been entertained and now it's again a code word we're not allowed to use. But this is something that is very important for the science that I thought was worth bringing up. What about this woman who every now and then spikes these inners every month during her menses? And that bug is there in her, but when she has her menses exposed to blood, it changes. This woman I want to bring up because it's going to be very important for the data I show you in our pregnancy. She lives in BV state type. I can tell you on the bottom of her graph, she has no symptoms. Her pH is basic, she complains of no symptoms, and she goes along, these are four months where she is never in a lactobacillus dominated state. So I pose to you this one you don't have to answer. Is it actually a disease? Is there something wrong? 
we keep calling BV a disease, but by what our traditional characteristic of BV, she meets it. But she's asymptomatic and there's nothing going on with her. Food for thought. What about pregnancy? So can these community state types, CRISPR-Cas9, CST1, gasseride 2 three inners, four no lactobacillus, five uh, gasseride 2 and five, I said them backwards, can they identify women at risk for spontaneous preterm birth? So there's been a few recent studies on the microbiome. Romero was probably one of the first people to publish this in 2014. And I'm going to walk you through these because it's very important as we move forward to understand what we're making our conclusions on. There were 18 spontaneous preterm births in that study. It was a case control at less than 34 weeks and 32 term deliveries. They had 88% were African-American. They found no differences between community state types and preterm birth. However, in a non-significant, they found that CST4B, again, this non-lactobacillus or BV-like state, was slightly higher than those delivered at term. I mean, again, since I just talked to you, and for those of you who were last night and for the, the uh, talks after this, I want you to think about that sample size and whether we would ever be empowered in any other study to see a difference. I'm going to skip to Molly Stout's study, and then I'm going to go to the two bigger studies that was published in AJOG this year. It was a prospective nested case control study, 24 preterm births, 69% African-American, and I'm bringing up race because we're going to see some things later that I want you to remember, and 53 at term. Notably, not all of these were spontaneous preterm births. Again, they were not able to see a difference in community state type, though they found that the microbial communities in women who ultimately delivered preterm appeared to be less stable. These are the two biggest papers that have been talked about. They're out of Stanford. They were published in PNAS. The first one is on the top. Dan DiGiulio published it. And the second paper that was published this year in PNAS is by Callahan. And again, this is um, David Relman is the senior author on both of these, a very established um, researcher in the microbiome. So because these kind of hit the lay press, I actually want to walk you through them a little. So the first study was a case control study of 49 pregnant women, 15 preterm births. They then had a validation phase of 11 preterm births and 4 preterm births. CST4 was inversely associated with gestational age, and they concluded that CST4, again, this anaerobic BV-like state, was associated with preterm birth. In their second study, they called it a two-cohort and a replication and validation study. So one cohort was from Stanford, Caucasian, low risk, 39 women, 30 term deliveries, 9 preterm births. The second was from a cohort that UAB gave them, African-American, high risk. Most of the women were in 17P for a prior preterm birth. 96 women, 50 preterm births. Their conclusion from their paper is we argue that there's a lack of a clear distinction between CST3 and 4, and it is a critical shortcoming of the CST approach. They argue that in those, in this group of, you know, about 100 women, that the relative abundance, the load, of G-vaginalis and lactobacillus inners were so similar that it really couldn't discriminate. And what they concluded was discrete community state types do not well represent that variation and will obscure the relationship between the vaginal microbiota and health. So they went on to do phylotype analysis. This is an example of a somewhat of volcano plot. I'm going to walk you through it because I'm going to show you from our data volcano plot and I want you to be able to compare them. So they did both genus right? So this is genus. This is just lactobacillus. If you look at the UAB cohort, they found that lactobacillus is not associated with preterm birth. doesn't show up anywhere. It's close to significant if you want to do multiple comparison on the Stanford group and the white group. Then there's Crispodis and inners, which you can see that inners is not associated in either group. And Crispodis is maybe a little bit in the Stanford Caucasian group. Over here is when they found three different strains of Gardnerana vaginalis. And the important to point out here, because we actually have similar data, 
is in the Stanford Caucasian group, certain strains of GVAG were associated with preterm birth, where other strains were not. None of these strains of Gardnerella vaginalis were associated with preterm birth in the African-American cohort from UAB. So what they concluded is that lactobacillus at high levels may be protective in white women, where Gardnerella vaginalis may be harmful, but that it does not hold true in African-American women. This is another, again, a plot when they took all of them. Again, looking at the p-value, they looked at other bugs that were not as common as GVAG and lactobacillus inters. And they came up with Prevotella, and Gardnerella again still shows up, but again, is only significant in the white women, not the African-American women. So all of us in this room know that African-American women are more likely to have BV than non-African-American women, but you will notice here that Gardnerella does not show up as a risk factor for African-American women. These are their p-values. This is in the Stanford group, so you can see that these bugs, and these bugs are gonna be important. You'll remember them after this talk. Gardnerella, Prevotella, Atopium, and Mobiluncus were all significantly associated with preterm birth. I would ask you, especially for the biostatisticians in the room, to notice the p-values with how many comparisons that were made. They were only Prevotella was significant in the UAB, again, mostly the African-American group. But what they're basically arguing is that there are certain bugs, or taxa, that are associated with spontaneous preterm birth, and it's racially different. However, and this is a really big caveat, so I want you to look at, these are the nine, so again, this study's based on nine white women who delivered preterm at Stanford. I want you to look at the indications for preterm birth. I've highlighted in red to make it easy for you. Those are all non-spontaneous preterm birth. So five of the nine were non-spontaneous. In the UAB cohort, only four out of the 50 weren't spontaneous, but I'll also tell you that 17 out of 50 were actually from 35 and a half to 36 and six sevenths weeks. So it doesn't mean the study's not valid. It just is a limitation that I think we need to note when we're talking about interpreting the study and what it means for future work. Hack et al. actually in scientific reports attempted to do a meta-analysis on this, which I will tell you why I don't think it's valid. So it's not only the phenotyping when we talk about translational research in the microbiome, it's the methodology. You can't compare sets of data that are not actually done the same way. When you look at 16S, in, which is the way we code for the microbiome. It depends on which region of 16S you look at. As you can see here, every author looked at a different region, and actually in the follow-up Stanford paper, they only looked at V4 hypervariable region. So you're putting in all this data, but the data is based on, so if you look at V1, V3, you don't pick up GVAG. So if you don't pick up Gardnerella vaginalis, how do you possibly compare it with all the other studies? So that's why I'm not showing you the results of this in meta-analysis, but I wanted to point out that these studies all had different methodology. So understanding those are kind of the five papers that talk about the vaginal microbiome and preterm birth. Where do we go from here? Well, there appears to be some association, right? Something kind of keeps coming up in these studies if we don't believe that they're too flawed by phenotyping and sample size between the microbial communities and preterm birth. Overall, these are the assumptions from these five studies. There's less microbial diversity in the cervical vaginal space in preterm birth. Less lactobacillus appears to be bad, maybe, in white women. There are bad bugs, Prevotella, Garnerella, Mobiluncus. It's unclear if other bugs are associated with BV, with BV or players, like BVAV1, 2, and 3, which have notoriously been associated with that state. The Stanford group did not find significant in either of their cohorts. Not all lactobacillus are alike in terms of risk. This is really important for the field of OBGYN because we always assumed all lactobacillus are good and they're not. Many bad bugs are highly prevalent in a lot of women, but not all women have a bad outcome. 
And the load, which I did not show you so much, the work, the load, the relative abundance of the bug matters. Phylotype analysis beyond CST should probably be done moving forward for this type of OV research, and I've said this. So what's not addressed? Clear phenotype, being larger sample size, race and parity, the local immune response, which in every other biological site is absolutely important for how the microbiome causes health and disease. So we did a study um, called the Motherhood of Microbiome. We enrolled 2,000 women. This is sponsored by the National Institutes of Nursing Research. We finished enroll. We're in our fifth year, and we finished enrolling last year. We performed an ESTA case control study. We presented most of this data last year at this meeting. 421 term births and 103 in spontaneous preterm births. And let's just clear this up right now. The spontaneous preterm births were adjudicated by a highly trained maternal fetal medicine specialist. We actually had a formal process for adjudicating all the cases, so case report forms were actually done by our staff, which are trained, but then there was a second form that was done and reviewed by me and anyone, any patient that was unclear, a full chart review was done, and then if there was any question, they were actually deemed to bias to the null as a non-spontaneous. So our cohort was about 75% African-American. You can see the remainder on there. Our cases in, oh, we frequency matched by race. I'm sorry for the case control. That's why they're exactly the same. Because we believe there were racial differences in the microbiome, we frequency matched our case, our controls to our cases by race. Um, but you can also see that they're pretty similar throughout as far as medical comorbidities, insurance, and marital status. We know from the non-pregnant data, and this also has not been considered in any other study, that there are certain things that affect the microbiome. Antibiotics sexual behaviors, smoking. So we looked at all of these at every time we sampled the woman. And I can tell you, and I'm just showing you our first visit was 16 to 20 weeks. There was no difference between any of these. So this is our CSTs. We did it the way Jacques Ravel did initially, community state types. Cases are in blue. Controls or term deliveries are in hash white, it looks like up there, or light blue. You can really see there's not that much difference. Though, if you look at 3B, which is lactobacillus inners, and 4A, which again is this non-lactobacillus, there seems to be a difference, but it's in the wrong direction. <laughs> so then we took a step back, and we said, well, let's look at it by rice, because based on the non-pregnant data and based on the pregnant data to date, there seems to be this really big difference, especially if you look at the UAB and Stanford cohort in the Callahan paper. So this is CST by race. Very dramatic, if you ask me, and I'm going to point it out. CST1A is lactobacillus crispatus. So non-African American women, and this is mostly white women, we have about 2% Hispanic, just to clarify. If you look at it here, 30% at 16 and 21 weeks are here, compared to only 12% of African American women. So African American women, at least in Philadelphia, do not live with lactobacillus crispatus. If you look at inners, you see the absolute reverse relationship. African American 30% of them are colonized with that being their main bacteria. Again, this is by CST, where in Caucasian women, it's only about 12%. If you look at CST4B, again, BV-like state, you have, now remember, this is both cases and control. This is everybody, only at 16 to 20 weeks. Almost 40% of African American live in a BV-like state during pregnancy, where only, again, about 10% to 15% of white women. So because we thought this might be driven by our cases, we then only looked at our, the terms. In term women, basically a quarter of our African-American population lived in these non-lactobacillus states and had healthy term deliveries. So everything that is bad is not actually bad. What I'm also not going to show you because of time is when we looked at parity, it's completely different by parity as well. For example, CST1, again, lactobacillus crispatus, nulliparous women were much more, were less likely to be colonized with crispatus, the multips, 20 to 37%. So race and parity affect the microbiome. 
So that gets to the meat. These are cases and control data now. I'm going to compare our spontaneous preterm birth to our term. On your left side of the screen is bacterial load, the amount of all bacteria that's present in the sample. And everything I'm showing you is V1 visit, which is 16 to 20 weeks. And then on the right-hand side is Shannon diversity. You will notice that somewhere around 23 weeks, they begin to separate out, that there is some variability, especially with diversity. But these are significant. And that the load, the actual bacterial load in the cervical vaginal space in women who ultimately have a preterm birth is less than those who have a term. And the diversity, the different communities that are present, is less. So this actually agrees with the small study that Molly Stout did, that there is a change in diversity. What is interesting is that you don't really, if you tested them early on in pregnancy, you would actually not see this change. It wouldn't be predictive of preterm birth. We then went on to do phylotype analysis. This is our volcano plot. And just to walk you through it, because I think it's a little confusing, but I do love this graph. This is the effect size it has on preterm birth. This is the logged Q value, so understanding multiple comparisons, whether it's significant. The size of it is how much relative abundance of the bug do you need for it to be at risk. And you will see, this is at all visits and all women, that there are seven taxa that are highly associated with an increased risk of spontaneous preterm birth. These are actually the effect sizes, so 20, 46, 40, 25, these are for the different bugs. You will notice, different than the Stanford group, we actually found a number of other bugs that were associated with preterm birth. Similar to them, despite it being a pure spontaneous, we found Mobilugus and Atopium. Megasphere as a genus, BBAB3 and Synethia were all very highly associated with preterm birth. I'm gonna show you some interesting plots that maybe will help explain this a little more clinically. Y-axis is probability of preterm birth, x-axis is the relative abundance of a bug. Because this was a nested case control, the baseline preterm birth rate is 19%. Okay, so that's our baseline, because it was a case control. So that's about here, right? So this is mobiluncus. At the highest bacterial load of preterm birth, of that bacteria, your preterm birth rate near 60%. If you look at Synethiae, right, baseline about 20%, you're upwards about 30. This is Megasphera. Similar to mobiluncus, you're almost at 60. So you can see this is a three-fold increased risk in preterm birth if you have mobiluncus megasphera and about a 2.5-fold if you have synethiae or BVAB3. So because of the known racial disparity and because we saw such a difference in the community state types by race, we really wanted to know if this held true if we only looked at African-American women. So this is the same kind of volcano plot, now only looking at African-American women in our case control study. And you can see of the seven texts, a five remained significant. Interestingly, though, mobiluncus and synethiae became even more significant when we only looked at African-American women. And again, same effect size. I'll show you the plots. Mobiluncus here, we're getting above a 60% rate of preterm birth in African-American women. I thought this was interesting for a clinical audience, hopefully. We did survival analysis based on if you had the cutoff. In, so if you took all 600 women and took the mean abundance, if you had above or below it, and you can see for mobiluncus and BVAB3, there are definitely, these are significantly different survival curves for delivery. So there is a cut point, if you will, where your risk of preterm birth is very different based on your load of these bad bugs. So I showed you that specific tax are associated with preterm birth. I started my talk with saying I gave you a whole spiel about how important the immune response is. So as part of that original grant, we were very specific that we were only going to look at a few cytokines and antimicrobial peptides because we acknowledged that we didn't really know junk about what was happening in the cervical vaginal space in regard to the immune response. So we picked beta defense and based on some of the STI literature. This is some of our beta defense and data. The black line, so these are our three time points. The black line is African-American women who delivered at term. 
you will note that they start out with very high beta defensin levels. By 24 to 28 weeks, they are half of what they were in the beginning of pregnancy. If you look at this red line, these are African-American women who had a spontaneous preterm birth. You will notice there is a tremendous difference in the beta defensin level between 16 and 20 weeks in African-American women who went on to have a preterm birth and those who didn't. If you measured it at 20 to 24 weeks, it's a lot less significant and much more variability. And it's gone by 24 to 28 weeks. The dashed lines are non or Caucasian women. And you'll notice that the beta defensins start off low, and they're not discriminating between cases and controls. So here we now have not only the microbiome being different by race, we have the immune response being different by race. So what about microbial immune interactions? I love this because it speaks to our hypothesis. On the bottom, are beta defensin quartiles. Because there was such large variations in the beta defensin across our whole group, we divided them into quartiles. We then looked at the risk of preterm birth by the five taxa, and we used the five that we found in the whole cohort and the ones that remain significant in African-American women, and said, do the different levels of beta defensin, remember in theory, beta defensin should be protective, change the risk of preterm birth? So let's look at Senethii. Your baseline risk is about 20% if you have the lowest level of beta defensin. If you have the highest level of beta defensin, despite the same bacterial load of Senethii, you decrease your preterm birth risk by half. This is Mobiluncus. Your preterm birth rate is about 30%. With your low level of beta defensin, if you have a high level of beta defensin, your preterm birth rate is decreased by two-thirds. And you can see, I'll give you this example, BVAB3, there was no preterm birth if you had a high level of beta defensin despite a high load of BVAB3. And you can see across the board, aside from Megasphera, which doesn't appear to respond to beta defensin, the other three taxa all were modified by the level of beta defensin that was present. So cervical vaginal bacteria and the local immune response appears to be highly associated with spontaneous preterm birth. Now what? So to me, it's obligatory to prove there's a mechanistic link between communities and preterm birth before we pursue therapeutics. So I started this talk with showing this slide. And if you remember, this was our argument, that there was a change in cervical remodeling. So I'm going to show you this fast, because I don't know what time it is. We have published work looking at the epithelial barrier in vitro and how you can test it. We actually had previously found microRNAs in human studies that were associated with preterm birth, and we tested those in epithelial cells. So we have a model system, if you will, to say what happens to the epithelial barrier. So one of the easy things that we do that is very common in the gut literature is we test for permeability. If you disrupt an epithelial barrier, like the gut, you get more things, even just water, but other bacterial byproducts, inflammatory mediators, passing through to the stroma and to the muco the, through the mucus and into the underlying layer. So in the gut, it causes a change in the musculature and the contractility. And if you have an E. coli that gets through, you get a lot of muscle contractions and diarrhea. We don't know the same thing happens in the cervix, but we know that there's an underlying layer of stroma and collagen and matrix that could be broken down. So it's very easy. We plate ecto and endocervical cells. We label them with, we put Fitzy dye on top. We either treat the cervical cells with different things, in this case bacteria. We then see how much dye ends up on the other side. The more dye you have, the more, permeable, more permeable the barrier is. So we did this. We did this work complementary to our cohort. So we didn't have all the bugs that I showed you, so we used bugs that we were biased by. So we used Lactobacillus crispatus as a good bug. I'm going to be very simple here. L-inners as a medium bug, and G-vaginalis as a bad bug. 
When you look at L. crispatus and permeability, it doesn't affect the epithelial permeability at all. When you look at L. inners, this is taking the supernatant from L. inners, right? We grow up L. inners in its media. We take the supernatant and we put it on cervical cells. That's all we do. And you can see that we definitely change the permeability of the cervical epithelial barrier. We do the same thing with G-vaginalis. So G-vaginalis and L. inners disrupt the cervical epithelial barrier membrane, the products they make, not even the bug. That does not happen with crispatus. <sighs> I hate this slide. So I told you the immune system is complex. I told you that I didn't understand it. So we did some Luminex discovery with the assumption that crispatus would make good anti-inflammatory cytokines, inners would do something in the middle, and GVAG would make it bad. What we found is that they all call an inflammatory response all over the place. So we did a heat map. So the this map is color-coded by the increase in the cytokine we tested. So the light is zero to two-fold, the dark is a hundred-fold. So I want you to look. The middle row is L inners. You can see that almost, now this isn't all cytokines. There were 40 that we measured. These are about 20. So 20 were not, did not have any effect or were not detectable. The other 20, you can tell that L inners seem to cause an inflammatory reaction across the board. And inflammatory, I'm including traditional anti-inflammatory cytokines. G-vaginalis did the same. If anything, it was even more potent. But I want you to notice here the mean level. So this is GRO1, or alpha, and this is hundreds of hundreds folds increase. This is GCSF, same thing. But wait a minute. If you look at L. crispatus, this is GCSF, which should be a traditional pro-inflammatory cytokine. So yes, it's elevated over 100-fold in inners and G-vaginalis, but it's elevated 50-fold in L. crispatus, a supposed good bug. So what we were left with, I'm not going to walk you through all this, is that the immune response is fairly complex, and how bacteria induces an immune response, and that interplay has to be understood. We then looked at microRNAs, because I told you we've seen these associated, and again, really quickly, these bugs, specifically G. vaginalis. So this is MIR-143 and 145, which we've worked on a lot. You can see here G. vaginalis in both in, in 143 and 145 increases expression in epithelial cells, where inners and crispatus are not able to do that. So the supernatant of these bacteria, of G. vaginalis, is able to induce molecular changes in epithelial cells. And since we now have, I should just make this comment, since we now had our human cohort, we've spent the last year working on the bacteria that were actually found there. And one of those will be an oral presentation um, number 19 tomorrow. So that's some really pretty, I think, or dirty, if you will, for the immune. In vitro data, what about in vivo? So we recently just published in PLUS One. So this has been done in non-pregnant mice, but never in pregnant mice. We created a human corollary to the vaginal microbiome. We've done this with crispatus and now G-vaginalis. We basically created a G-vaginalis pregnant mouse model, and what we tested is whether it caused cervical remodeling. So we did it by the traditional measures of looking at cytokines and mRNA expression, but then we actually did histological, and hopefully you can see this. These are control mice. These are mice exposed to G-vaginalis. You can see that there's a lot more mucin here, and there's no mucin here. This is trichome staining, and you can see that there's cervical remodeling here and not here. We then did something that, um, working with great colleagues at Penn in the bioengineering, we do biomechanical testing of the cervix now. As people might have heard me speak, I think ultrasonographic uh, short cervix is a poor surrogate for molecular changes of the cervix that may lead to um, preterm birth. 
So we've started doing biomechanical testing with our colleagues to see if there are other, other biomechanical, not just molecular ways to pick it up. So without getting into all the details of what all these means, modulus and strain are measures of biomechanical properties, and they are changed in a model that is exposed to G-vaginalis, indicating cervical remodeling. So in conclusion, the CV microbial communities differ significantly by both race and parity. The CV immune response is not well understood and appears infinitely more complex than pro versus anti. From all the work that I presented today, I think we can conclusively say that select cervical vaginal bacteria associated with spontaneous preterm birth. The local cervical vaginal immune response can modify this association of select bacteria with preterm birth. In vitro and in vivo data provide biological plausibility that several of these bacteria are mechanistically involved in cervical remodeling that may lead to preterm birth. I'd like to acknowledge both our laboratory and our clinical research team in the Maternal and Child Health Research Center that makes all this work possible. My amazing collaborators, specifically Jacques Ravel and Catherine Downs, who I could have not done this work without, um, all the members of our laboratory team and our clinical research team, and then our funding from the March of Dimes and the NINR for this work. Thank you. That was the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about the journal at www.tima.com forward slash AJP or check out our Facebook and Twitter pages. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes and join us next time. <laughs>